It's the Morgan You Know Comedy Movie Draft. There's so many ways you can read something that's funny. What are you watching a movie for if you gotta read it? Who will win? Cowboy Derek. Crazy characters such as you guys. Rachel. But just like you, I feel like that's something I quote consistently. Rod. I'm in the trenches taking grenades, John. Old Man Chris. I mean, you're supposed to be a movie guy. Jimmy. Personal shots here, come on. That's why it's my wild card. The Morgano Podcast, available on all podcast providers. Hello, Internet. The Morgano Podcast Network presents Balls and Brew. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome in to another edition of the flagship sports podcast here on the Morgan You Know Podcasting Network. My name is Rod Morgan. I am your affable host. We will be talking about NFL Week 5 shortly. We'll be capping a little bit of NFL Week 4 with my guys. Unfortunately, not joining us this week is the producer of this and every other podcast on the Morgan You Know Podcasting Network. That's Jimmy Jamariska. He is unavailable for taping tonight, but... He has sent me in his face and his heel, so I still will be doing that as we continue along in the podcast. But still here with me is a man who was skeptical of the Bryce Young pick the minute it happened. He's joining us from down there in North Carolina. It's Chris King. Chris, hello. What is up, Rod? Happy to be back. NFL Week 5. Let's go. And if we're talking NFL, we have to have somebody who actually knows what they're talking about, somebody who's looking up the numbers, somebody who knows the formula. He knows what all of these weird stats actually mean. He's our handicapper. It's Josh Williams. Josh, hello. What's up, boys? We had our first losing week last week. We're on the it's one and two, so we're 7-5 and five against the spread. If you don't include the late ads, if you include the late ads, we're 9-5. and five. But we've been bit by kind of uh, the injury bug, like news going against us so far. So uh, hopefully, uh, no excuses, man. We got got to be better. So uh, hopefully, we can get it back on track in week five here. Okay, here's the ruling on the late ads. Those are absolutely part of your records. This is the Morgan You Know Podcasting Network. I am the ultimate judge, jury, and executioner of all rules here on the network. So I say those are in. So your record is actually nine and five. Yeah, and like I would have never have given out um, <laughs> Cleveland uh, last week if I would have known that Watson wasn't going to play against Baltimore. Um, yeah, just keep going. Yeah, it's uh, we'll, we'll get to we'll get to some Ravens talk uh, a little bit later, but uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm a glutton for punishment with this uh, with this Ravens team. See, there's all there's a team every year. Again, again, we'll we'll get there when we get there. I want to start off. All right talking about something that there actually was an edict passed that if you have a podcast, the name Taylor Swift has to be brought up at one point during some of your NFL shows. We have yet to talk about the Taylor thing. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. I don't want to ask the same old questions that everybody has asked. Williams, I'm going to start with you, all right? I'm going to make you sit in as guy who wants to watch football. Okay, there's an awful lot of talk out there by people who are angry about this. They are mad. They are going to Twitter and they're saying, get Taylor off my screen. As somebody who is absolutely all in for just the game of football, does Taylor Swift's presence anger you? No, man, I get it. I feel like it's a it's a publicity stunt. I'm I'm more pumped up about week six Thursday night. We're going to get Denver at Kansas City. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Al Michaels, since he's been on Prime Video, like he's been a, a bit of curmudgeon 
And so if they go to Taylor Swift 54 times during that game, he's going to lose his shit. So, and, and we all love Al Michaels here, but like, I mean, I can't wait for that Thursday night game. It doesn't bother me. I get it, but, uh, it's bringing in eyeballs from the, from the other demographic. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a football guy. So, uh, so whatever. I just, just, just give me some more football. All right, let me ask you one quick follow-up, and then I have another question for Chris on the whole Taylor Swift thing, all right? My follow-up is, I absolutely agree with you, and do you think there's actually anybody out there that really is angry about it, or did we just create a straw man that's angry about it so then we could talk about people being angry about it? Oh, man, you know there's people angry about it. I mean, <laughs> I love Twitter for informational purposes and, and for comedy, but like, if you, don't, if you go on Twitter, I mean, there's just there's people angry about everything. So, yeah, there's no getting away from it, man. But uh, you just got to roll with the punches, man. All right. Now, here's the thing. Primetime football games were absolutely created with the idea of let's bring in a little bit of Hollywood. Let's bring in a little bit of glitz. Let's bring in a little bit of glam, right? So, absolutely, Taylor Swift on the Sunday night broadcast, that makes sense. Chris, I want to go to you on this angle, okay? You're our resident conspiracy theorist around here, all right? Now, there's another line that comes out of all of this Taylor Swift coverage that she's only after it for publicity. And then lo and behold, last week, what starts running every other commercial break during the game where we're seeing Taylor Swift between commercials in the actual live broadcast, none other than the preview for her concert film. So there's an arm out there that says she's only in it for that publicity. I say fooey on that. She can get publicity a lot of different ways. This is a conspiracy I want to come to you on, Chris. The only bad thing that exists about Taylor Swift on the internet is her use of private jets. She catches a lot of guff from people for flying all around the world on private jets because she's so pro-environment, right? What happens when you search Taylor Swift and jets right now, Chris? Thousands of articles and tweets and pictures come up of Taylor Swift at the New York Jets game. All of the articles about Taylor Swift's private plane usage is now buried to the bottom of Google. So Chris, I ask you, did she do all of this just to get rid of the one bad piece of information available about her on the internet? I would not put it past her. There's a lot of times I think her PR and her team are playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers, like how she got the essentially the rights back to her original music by remastering them. Um, she is on a different level and, and I kind of figured that this type of relationship isn't one that lasts a long time. She is known to make albums and songs about her exes. So why isn't this viewed as anything other than a publicity push? And the NFL is using it right back. We saw the numbers from Sunday Night Football, right? The Chiefs and the Jets, $27 million, the most since the Super Bowl on a primetime NFL game. It was making money for everybody, Rod, which then brings you to other conspiracy theories about how on earth the Jets all of a sudden became a decent football team on Sunday or how maybe there were some phantom calls at the end of the game that had to go the Chiefs way just to make sure they still won since Taylor Swift is cheering them on. Listen, I don't want to go down that road at all, but, you know, it's definitely possible. I think Taylor is playing chess when others are playing checkers. That's a brilliant line by you. So I think certainly she thought to herself a little publicity is there. I'm not so sure that she knew she could bury the private jet story. I think that's going a little bit too deep. I think that's just a little bit of our 2023 culture seeping through there. Everybody wants to find the most rampant conspiracy they can think of and fire it out there at people. But I also 
choose to believe in love. That's ultimately where we're going to land here, folks. All right, let's let the Kelsey Taylor Swift saga play out. Maybe these kids are in love and everything is going to end up being fine between them and nothing will be wrong. Taylor was there for the game where our intrepid producer, Jimmy Jamriska, even in his absence, sent to me his face and heel. The face comes out of that 27 million people viewed Sunday night football game. And it comes from Patrick Mahomes. And it's not simply just for his play, which quite frankly wasn't stellar by Mahomes standards because he had quite a few picks in that game. Jimmy is making him the face of the week for correctly sliding at the end of the game and not scoring the garbage time touchdown. He is the face of the week for that reason. Mr. Williams, do you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a great play by Mahomes, even though I could have cashed in some DFS uh, tournaments, some showdown tournaments, if he would have <laughs> ran it in. Uh, I'm, you know me. I'm always for the smart play. So, um, yeah. I mean, Mahomes, well, that honestly, that might have been Mahomes' worst game I've ever seen him play, too. So, even in his worst games, man, he still is all about the team and uh, just makes the correct decisions, man. What a What a gamer that guy is. Chris, are you going to take the anti-angle here and say Mahomes absolutely should have scored and padded those stats, baby? Let's go. Get it for the gram. Uh, part of me wants to say he probably should have scored. I will say this. I think he did, he did make the right play, but I think him scoring a touchdown, them going up by 10 points, that's still two scores. It pretty much seals the game either way. Um, I don't think in this scenario it made that big of a difference. If you were up by only one point and the team could score a touchdown with a two-point conversion to tie – then it's an even smarter play. Uh-oh, Williams, I love it when you guys get going at each other. Let's hear it. Uh, yeah, 99.9% .9 of the time, I'm, I, would I would agree with Chris. But remember, dating back to last year when the Cleveland Browns blew a 13-point lead with less than two minutes to go versus the Jets at home, at home. And it could have been over if Nick Chubb, who we all love, um, would have decided to to go down at the one or two yard line. So like, man, the NFL. We know the NFL is insane, crazy. Uh, I love you, I love you, Josh. But you are comparing the Chiefs to the Browns. The Browns yeah. have a significant greater history of screwing things all, up. All I'm saying is, is it is possible. So you tell me there's a chance. I love the old man bringing up the history of the Browns as well, right? Going back to the to the old Paul Brown days. Of course, he's going to do all that. All right, Jimmy's heel of the week. The Chicago, the Chicago, the Chicago Bears emeritus heel of the week. All right. Because the Bears basically can be the heel of the week every week at this point. But that's not interesting podcasting. But I will point out that while we're recording right now on Thursday Night Football, the Bears may be making a case to not be the heel of the week emeritus for the rest of the season. But as of right now, they are. And it's apropos because the heel of the week is a former Chicago Bear, a proud member of the Bears defense, Ron Rivera, who is now the head coach for the Washington Commanders. And he decided to tie the game up and go into overtime and proceeded to then allow the Philadelphia Eagles to drive right down the field and beat them in overtime when if he would have went for two, they could have won the game. Ron Rivera, congratulations, my friend. You are the heel of the week. And I should pause here as well to say about an hour before we started recording this podcast, word came down that the legendary Dick Butkus, former Chicago Bear, has passed away. You know him. You love him from commercials, from TV, from movies, and from his great days as a Bear. 
sad to see Dick Butkus pass. And Williams, I know he's got to mean something to you as a lifelong Bears fan. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll get we'll get to Buckus in a in a second here. The, the greatest bear of all time. But no more no more riverboat Ron moniker for for Ron Rivera. He's also known as Paddleboat Ron now. I mean, hey Ron, you're down by one on the road as nine and a half point dogs. You say your guys are gassed on that last drive. Then why decide to go into a ten minute overtime versus the defending NFC champions on the road? When you are a dog, you want to shorten the game. You want to heighten the variance. What better way to do that? Then it all comes down to one play from the two-yard line. And go back to this. Always a, a, a very famous commentator once said this in baseball. John Smoltz said this. What does the other team's fans want you to do? What are they afraid of? I guarantee you 100% of the Philly fans did not want them to go for two right there because not only – was the Washington offense gassed, so so to speak, but the Philly defense was gassed. Get that down to one play. You, I mean, you're 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 expected to finish last in your division. Like I said, nine and a half point dogs. It does it doesn't make any sense to me not to go for two there? Yeah, you got a rookie quarterback who's not supposed to be any great shakes. You know what I mean? You're playing with found money at that point anyway. I mean, Chris, come on, he absolutely has to go for two there, right? I mean, like, would you? If you were the owner of the Commanders, would you just go down on the field and fire Ron Rivera immediately after that game for not going for two? I mean, he's definitely getting public humiliated by me at the very least because you have to go for two. I don't even care if you're the road team dog. If you're the home team, I've been a big believer of teams making statements like that and saying, no, our guys are going to be better for you guys for this one play. Let's get it done. This is for the game. You play to win the game, Rod. Let's make that call. Let's go for two. I've seen it done in college. IU beat Mich- uh, Michigan one year like that. Um, Penn State another year like that. I've seen Notre Dame do it a couple times. I like it when I see it, and I was upset. Absolutely. And, uh, Williams, I just I want to go to you on this. We've seen just a lot of just crazy, insane decisions by NFL head coaches already four weeks in. We talked about so many of them last year. Like Again, I'm just going to ask you, how does this happen? How do these staffs with so many people who figure out so many things just completely lose it and make these terrible decisions? Oh, man, it's it's mind boggling. I've got two for you. Right. I mean, real quick, Brandon Staley, two weeks ago versus the Vikes goes for it on fourth down, fourth down on two or three. I don't mind him going for it. But analytics say there that you throw the ball because Herbert had three passes all game. He had 47 pass attempts. He had three passes all game where the Vikings touched the ball. He had seven passes where it was not completed. So they're just tearing up this Vikings uh, secondary. What do they do? They go shotgun, run it right up the middle, and they're lucky they won that game. And, and then Josh McDaniels, the last two weeks, he was the first coach in NFL history two weeks ago to, to kick a field goal down by eight with under four minutes to go, like inside the 20 yard line. And when they asked him about it in the presser, he said, well, you know, we need two scores anyway. It's like, dude, you're down by eight. I mean, what, what are you doing? And then, I mean, he rushes up to the goal line this last week and uh, on, on, on a, on a catch that, that went to replay that showed it was a touchdown and props to Trent green and Kevin Harlan on the call. They said on the telecast, you have to review that. What does McDaniels do? He has the offense hurry up to the line of scrimmage, and they presume that it gets stuffed on third and goal from inside the one. And then he goes shotgun on fourth and one. I mean, good Lord. I mean, I, 
I used to think Josh McDaniels was was, was kind of a sharp, but uh, these last two weeks, no, he's not. All right, so quick follow-up for you here then, Mr. Williams. I know we don't advocate for anyone to lose their job, but do we think there's a very good chance Josh McDaniels is the first coach gone this year now? It's crazy because, like, I mean, you could say the same thing for Eberflus, but the Bears have never done that. And, and it seems like Mark Davis for the Raiders will not do that. So, like, and we thought, or I mean, I thought that, that Todd Bowles was a strong candidate for that and that Tampa Bay is overachieving right now. So it's like that first coach fired market might be lasting for a while here because even the bad teams, we know that Frank Reich isn't going to lose his job in the first year in Carolina. So that, that one might go all the way to the end of the year. Um, so that one's that one's tough to handicap just because the history of these franchises have said they don't make in season changes. Ooh, so there's a there's a little mark. Here's a little marker I'm going to put in the back of my mind off of that, then, Mr. Williams, for always moving forward. Maybe first coach fired is something you just always bet against, right? Maybe we're just getting more to an area where we're not going to see a coach get thrown out in the middle of the year. Is that almost what you're saying, that we're seeing a little more patience from all these owners? Or are you saying it's only a few certain instances and you have to just dig into the team? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it goes by the organizations. And yeah, I wish that, and they might end up putting that prop up on DK. DK is super, uh, I mean, there's, there's, they have all kinds of different props. They're really good with with throwing different props up there. I haven't seen one where where you could bet the no on no coaches being fired throughout the year. So that would be a cool prop for them to to, to put up there. Nice. Well, listen, if we got any DK, you know, people out there that listen to this pod, come on, let's make this happen. Williams is just giving you guys free nuggets all the time. The least you can do is do something we suggest out there at our benefit, right? Speaking of benefit for you listeners, Chris comes on here every week and completely emasculates himself and tells you something he doesn't know. And right now he's got another good one cooked up for us. Yeah, because I don't know a lot. We we, we established that on many different podcasts on, on this podcasting network. Um, but what I want to tell you is I know we talk a lot about the NFL parity. And other than maybe one team out there right now, no team looks like real world beater, beaters to me. And this is no more evident than what appears to be now the most competitive division in all of the NFL. And I'm talking about the AFC South. We have four teams. They're all sitting at 500. They've all kind of beat each other and lost to each other in weird, embarrassing fashions. It's, it's hard for me to determine where the rest of this, this season is going to go for these teams. We have the best offense also have the worst score. The best scoring offense also has the worst scoring defense the worst scoring offense has the best scoring defense it is crazy and the team that is it has the second best offense and the second best defense is the Tennessee or the Houston Texans who no one thought was going to be that competitive this year so I have been confounded and confused and kind of happy because this just gives our Indianapolis Colts a little bit more opportunity to have to maybe win this this division and, and get to the playoffs. Let's take this opportunity there with the brilliant transition brought to us by Chris there, bringing up the Colts to do our obligatory Colts check-in. 
we kind of did our obligatory Bears check-in earlier in the podcast, and it's also not real fair for us to do yet another Bears check-in when they're going to have another game played by the time this pod comes out. So we'll kind of skip them a little bit this week and just focus in on the Colts. And I, the Colts confounded me here, Chris. All right, like either win both of those games or lose both of those games. Don't split both of those games coming down at the end like that. All right, like if you're going to come around and beat Baltimore in overtime then you got to make sure to not blow this Rams game at the end and be three and one instead of this two and two. But what I will say other than that, Chris, is I was right on one thing. I said, even if the Colts lose this year, which I thought would be a good strategy for them, it was going to be exciting games. And damn it, Anthony Richardson is exciting every time he's on the field. And Gardner Minshew isn't very good, but he's just good enough to make the game exciting. The Colts have just had great football to watch all four games i will say that but i don't know how good we're going to be right now we're the highest scoring offense in our division so we are scoring more than everybody else even more than jacksonville who everyone thought was going to have a high-powered offense yeah i certainly did the jags are hurting me bad in fantasy mr williams i know you kind of told everybody both south divisions right kind of just like throw your arms up and we'll see what ends up happening there what do you what do you feel after four weeks in the afc south yeah, I had a much stronger, um, much stronger I- implication on on who was going to win the NFC South than the AFC South. I thought the AFC South was one of the tougher divisions for me to handicap, but I continue to go back to the Colts last year had one of the most just weird. I, seasons that I can remember. We still don't really know why the offensive line was so bad last year. And it, I feel like it was an anomaly. And I think it was kind of throwing everybody off at how bad everyone thought the Colts were last year. I don't think they're that bad. And so when you take Chris is right, when you take like the Colts, Jags, Titans, and Texans, who shout out to our boy Bobby Slowick, offensive coordinator there, Kyle Shanahan, disciple, uh, <laughs> everybody's like around, you know. Anybody could win that division. I feel like any somebody could finish seven and ten. Somebody can might finish ten and seven, but they're all like right there, man. That's why it was so tough to handicap. And we had some new coaches coming in, and Richardson was the ultimate X factor because we just didn't know he had a super high ceiling and a super low floor. So yeah, the AFC South still is right now is super tough to handicap. And you have the Tennessee Titans, right, who we give credit for kind of just their organizational brilliance, right? But in a lot of fantasy leagues, I have a feeling that their quarterback is just sitting in the free agent market, right? You know, Ryan Tannehill's just sitting there, and I think that's going to be the difference for them. If he gets it together and resembles the Ryan Tannehill we saw a couple of years ago, I think Tennessee is going to still ultimately end up being the cream of the crop in that division. Williams said he had a stronger lean on the NFC South. If memory serves me correct, I think he said he sort of liked this team I'm about to talk about as someone that's not getting a whole lot of the discussion. We brought Taylor up at the beginning of this podcast. She's certainly eating up a lot of NFL media. But another story that I think is well worth talking about are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Three and one right now. Just coming off a big division win. And I'll be damned if their quarterback, Baker Mayfield, who I agitated for the Colts to get, I will say, right, once upon a time. I'd like that we have Anthony Richardson now, but once upon a time, I said, hey, I think Baker might have something left. He's young enough. Let's give him a shot. And right now, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are reaping that reward to the tune of 882 yards passing through four games, seven touchdowns to only two interceptions, a quarterback rating of 101.5. 
And all of that is better than Tom Brady himself was through four games last year. Mr. Williams, you kind of like the Bucs at the beginning of the year. What do you think of their play so far? Well, I'm going to throw you a curveball here because you were higher on the Bucs than I was. I liked them in week one against Minnesota because uh, I liked their defense and I thought Minnesota was going to regress. But this, yeah, this, this future market here, this isn't a wild fun one, like a 50 to one. But I think there is value on this based off a quarterback change in the making coming soon. And I, I think the Saints stink. We'll get to them later. And Carolina obviously is in a massive rebuild. So I like coming in here on the Falcons at plus 220 on DK to win the NFC South. And I'm taking this because you have to go to Taylor Heineke now. <laughs> I'll give you guys props. You said, uh, I don't trust Desmond Ritter. And I said, I can't get any worse than Marcus Mariota. Uh, it's gotten worse. And so Arthur Smith has to make a change. He has to make it relatively quickly. Uh, Tampa Bay, I'm with, I'm with you. They're playing really well right now. I think they're probably playing above their heads. And so you get the Falcons here. Remember, Falcons, second easiest schedule going into the year, and it was by a mile. Them and the Saints had the two easiest schedules. Like I said, I don't believe in the Saints. I believe much more in the Falcons. You get Tyler Heineke in there. He's the closest thing to Jameis Winston we have in the league. You may think, well, Jameis Winston, that's not good. Actually, I think it is good for this offense because he throws the ball down the field. Make You let Drake London and Kyle Pitts make plays. Get the ball up in the air. We're not, we're not seeing that by Desmond Ritter. He's, he's being handicapped and maybe purposely by the coaching staff because they know he can't do it. You have to make a change to Tyler Heineke. Uh, the Falcons' ceiling goes way up when they make that change. Let me ask you both this. Do you think it hurts Desmond Ritter that he literally was portrayed as a toy last week playing around in Andy's room with a bunch of little children. And do you think that that ultimately just made him look even worse as a quarterback? Did you guys happen to check out any of the Toy Story football fun day cast? Yeah, I did. And, and the football field itself, Rod, reminded me of my old uh, electric rumble football field, you know, where it just vibrated and shook the guys around. I used to have hours of fun with that. So it was a little bit of nostalgia for me. I, uh, I thought that it was kind of cool, right? I mean, it was awfully tough for them to do a lot of the rendering and making it as smooth. Chris, you're definitely right that it looked like electric football where guys are just bucking up against one another in the middle of the line, a big scrum. But I must say, the Duke Kaboom halftime show, five stars, all right? Duke Kaboom came out and did an impressive motorcycle jump, wasn't the least bit phased by Emperor Zorg showing up and, and doing evil things during halftime. The Pizza Planet trucks down here throwing pizzas around on everybody. Slinky Dog is the 10-yard marker. I mean, it was just good stuff on the Toy Story broadcast. Mr. Williams, you got too many monitors and too many things to keep track of, I bet, to even check that out, right? <laughs> I didn't see that, but uh, I heard it was fantastic. One last thing on Desmond Ritter. He's 0-8 against the spread in the first half on the road in his career. That's not good. Specifically, that's not very good for the Falcons offense because they run the ball so much. They have to get in positive game scripts. That is a massive detrimental to this team. You have to make the change to Heineke. All right. What Williams just gave you guys right there was futures market watch. I just forgot to do my big, cool, fancy movie intro guy voice before we did it there. 
So we've hit all of our little fun things that we like to do. We're at about the 26 minute mark. That'll put us right about where we need to be. But I must remind everyone that this will be a little bit longer. I guess not remind everyone. I haven't told everyone this. This will be a little bit longer of a balls and brew episode because after we finish with our football talk, I decided we needed to check in on baseball because Evan Altman is going to be on talking to us about the Cubs here, talking a little bit about the playoffs, but frankly, we didn't talk about this playoffs very much. We just spent most of the time wrapping up the Cubs year. And then as an even more wonderful nugget for you, a couple of minutes at the end on the NBA fast break as things are still happening in campus just around the corner. But before we get to those two things, we've got to get our superstar, our handicapper, Josh Williams, three picks for the week. You're going to start us out with those Ravens, who you said you had some stuff to talk about before versus the Steelers. Yeah, I've got some crazy stats here, and maybe I'm a glutton for punishment. I just don't believe in this Ravens team. (laughs) Week one against a rookie quarterback against Houston. Week two against Cincinnati, banged up Burrow. Week three, they lose to Anthony Richardson, rookie quarterback at home. And then week four, they get the late news that Deshaun Watson's not starting, and they get to go up against DTR. I'm taking the Pittsburgh Steelers plus four and a half across the board. This is a classic Rah rah Mike Tomlin spot off an Let's embarrassing, off an embarrassing loss in week four. He'll have his team at home ready for this game. L- listen to these ridiculous stats here. When the spread is three or more in this matchup since 2008, the underdog, the underdog is 17, one and three against the spread. I know this didn't work out in week one when we, when we went against our boy Shanahan, but Tomlin is 53, 28 and three against the spread. 65% as a dog, the most profitable of any coach in NFL history, and against teams with a winning record, Tomlin is 33-15-1 against the spread, also most profitable coach in that category by a mile. And now you get Lamar. Lamar for the Ravens is 15-1 against the spread as a dog or a favorite of three points or less. That's an that's unbelievable stat. That's 94%. That's rather impressive. But when he's favored by more than three points, like this matchup, his against the spread record is only 20 and 29 against the spread, 40%. Lastly, some ref stats. Guess who is crewing this game? Carl Sheffers is calling an above average 65% of his penalties on the offense this year. He's doing this game. The Ravens rank second overall for offensive holding penalties per game on the road this season. Meanwhile, the Steelers are ranked second overall at creating offensive holding penalties when they're at home this season. The Steelers rank number one in net penalty yards, and the Ravens rank 26 in the same category. And check this out. Since 2016, with Carl Sheffers officiating, home teams are 71-47-1 on the money line. 61% on the money line. And get this, he's officiated 13 divisional games in which the home team was a dog. The home teams are 9-4 and four against the spread in those contests. Over the past 10 seasons, with Sheffers officiating the Steelers, have been, the Steelers have been underdogs in six of those games. They are 5-0-1 against the spread in those contests. So you, you have yet to lose your bet outright with the Steelers as dogs and Sheffers officiating. Last week was the worst loss for the Steelers in 30 years versus a team under 500 last week when Pittsburgh got waxed by the Texans 30-6. to You don't think Mike Tomlin will have his guys ready after that pathetic showing? I mean, this is a classic, classic buy low Mike Tomlin rah-rah spot. Let's go. Shout out. Carl Chefs, by the way, love you, brother. Carl Chefs, working, you're working great. No, I like to call him Carl Chefs. That's Carl what his Chefs. friends call him. All right, that's what his friends call him. Second off, I do 
have to correct you there, right? All of your stats were correct, but the Ravens lost to Gardner Minshew, my friend. All right. How dare you? How dare you take a win away from my guy? That's right. right? That's right. You're right. Yeah. All right. So as much as I want to praise Anthony Richardson, he took one away from there. And I also couldn't help but notice a little sneakiness here. This is the Steelers getting three and a half. So you can actually still win this if the Steelers only managed to lose by a field goal. So I think that's pretty that's pretty good little uh, sneakiness out of you on that. Right. Yeah. Uh, Steelers plus four and a half across the board here. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Four and a half. And I know I know they have injuries uh, all like, over the like place. Quarterback who's also not played this year and is killing my fantasy team. Is that does yeah. that worry any? Yeah, and and also Matt Canada is that an absolute donkey that worries me too. Everything worries me about this game except for these historical stats. Yep. <laughs> so Tom like, so, listen, we believe yeah. in the Tomlin Ra Ra yeah. spot. All right, that is a, it's a foundational core of this podcast, the Tomlin Ra Ra spot. For sure. Here, here's where I get nervous. All right, because I am usually with you guys. You don't want to bet against Mike Tomlin, but. In those previous instances, he had one thing that I don't think this team has, and that's a competent defense. They are 30th in the NFL on total yards allowed, 26th on passing yards, 29th in rushing yards, and 23 in points allowed per game. That is not great. They get outscored by their opponents on average of 9.5 points per game. That's, that's, that's a little bit rough to overcome. Yeah, you're not you're not wrong. It's been ugly, and sometimes you just gotta pinch your nose and <laughs> go with go with the stats. That's what I, that's what I'm hoping for here. Here's, here's what else Steelers stats. have going for them this week. All right, I'm absolutely refusing to play Pickens at fantasy wide receiver until the Steelers show me something. So because I'm going to bench him this week, he's going to go off for like 200 yards and three touchdowns. So and Tomlin Ra Ra spot all that working and fan of the Steelers. Let's go have a Yinling, get it done. Moving on, the Saints, who Williams has teased a little bit that I think he's about to crap on, they're playing another team that's a big pile of crap right now. And Chris, I I just continue to have to give you props. I think that you're a little too harsh on Bill Belichick's entire career, but the Bill Belichick that's coaching right now, you might be on to something. It's the same Bill Belichick that was coaching before Tom Brady. Let me just put that out there. Oh, look at you still keeping there. But Williams, Saints, Pats, what do you got for us? Somebody has to win. This is a classic somebody has to win game right here. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to go Pats plus one shocker here. You can find that on DK, MGM, or FanDuel. Listen, man, Pats have lost to Philly, Miami, and Dallas. Probably three of the six best teams in the league. Uh, and when you think about what Derek Carr did last week, he shouldn't have played. If, if you guys saw his stat line, 23 for 37 for 127 yards. He threw 37 pass attempts and he had 127 yards. He had 13 checkdowns to Kamara for 33 yards. That's an NFL record for that many catches and that little of yardage. That is a sad, listen, whoever figured out that that was a record, that is a sad, sad statistician right there. He went home and had like a sad dinner with his wife and was like, I can't believe this is the stat that I figured out today. It was by a mile, too. Like, the previous record was 13 catches for, like, 76 yards. Kamara, 13 catches for 33 yards? I mean, the Saints' offense is just broken. Um, I know the Pats lose uh, Christian Gonzalez and Matt Judon here. That's not great. But Hoodie, being the slide GM he is, just picked up J.C. Jackson, the corner, who was no hyperbole here. He was the number one corner while he was in New England a few years ago. Then they traded him to the Chargers, where he was – one of the worst graded cornerbacks in the league. So scheme matters here. 
And you think about Saints beat Carolina by three. That's not aging well. They beat the Titans by one, which Tennessee had a defensive touchdown overturn in that one. That was super questionable. I'm not overthinking this one. We've got Dennis Allen on the road with a banged-up Derek Carr as small favorites over Hoodie and the Pats, where New England is coming off their worst loss in the Belichick era. Big bounce-back spot here for the Pats. I have it on good record. He listens to the pod. Belichick going to stick it right in Chris's eye here. He he loses his two best defensive players, and he's still going to find a way to get the cover in this one. Chris, I'm telling you, Pats cover this weekend. Williams, listen, let me tell you something. Bill Belichick is not going to be the first NFL head coach to stick a finger in Chris's eye, all right? There was an unfortunate Sam Weiss incident at a Skyline Chili in Cincinnati back in the 80s, all right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not a fan of Sam Weiss, but we'll save that story for another time. But I will say, even if Belichick wins this game, he still has a losing record on the season. That's all I'm going to say. Wow, Chris just—he's—he's waiting for every. He's going to be driving the anti-Belichick bus, and he is just waiting for passengers to want to get on board. That's what Chris is doing there. All right. Speaking of Chris, his Cowboys involved with one of their storied rivals, perhaps the game of the week. We are—we are blessed here, folks. Williams always gives us the plays that he is strong on. He doesn't always give us the game of the week, but this week he's got thoughts for us on Cowboys Niners. Let's go. Not only game of the week is this is this sneaky game of the year in the NFC. I it might be. This might surprise Chris. I'm going to take Dallas plus four on Caesars right here. Everywhere else it's three and a half. Trying to get that plus four. Listen, Cowboys ten and six against the spread as a dog under McCarthy. Surprisingly, that's the third best winning percentage by any coach since 2020. And I think Dallas has some positive touchdown regression coming their way. Only 37% success rate so far in the red zone. That is just bound to regress positively. And so some surprising stats here. Cowboys, aside from the Zona game, Dallas has lived in garbage time. If you sift through that, though, the garbage time stats, the Cowboys offense is sixth in EPA per play. They're third in passing success rate. And the Niners are actually quite the opposite. San Fran has not been able to stop the run. 28th in EPA per rush allowed in non-garbage time. They've also faced the sixth easiest schedule of opposing offenses so far in 2023. And the starting five on the Cowboys offensive line is trending towards playing together for the first time all season. Hopefully I didn't just jinx that because I've been on the wrong side of injury luck lately. But yes, they are trending towards all playing this week. And Traverius Ward, the Niners' best cover corner, he's dealing with a heel issue. Check these 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 splits out here. How you attack the Niners secondary is outside the numbers and five yards down the field. 62% success rate against them this year. That's 26th in the league. The Cowboys have the fifth highest rate of passes thrown outside the numbers. I expect them to go down the field to Brandon Cooks this week finally. Let's throw the ball down the field, and the Cowboys should have a chance to cover this game. They might have a chance to win this outright. All right, Chris, your Cowboys bounce back strong after the hiccup to the Cardinals there. What are you uh what are you what are you thinking about them moving forward? Do you like that Williams is picking them or does that scare you? Anytime that we play the 49ers, I'm nervous. All right. We do not have a good history of playing the 49ers regular season or playoffs, all right? I mean, they have single-handedly kept us out of numerous Super Bowls. Uh, it wasn't until we had the big three in the 90s that we were able to break past them, and they even got us one year in that stretch too. I am nervous. We have essentially two top five defenses no matter what 
metric you want to select out of this group. So that worries me that even though our defense is as good as theirs, I don't know how good our offense is yet to stack up against their defense. If we get up early, listen, if we start out hot and early, Dak is is so much better compared to playing from behind. So I don't have a problem with going downfield, but let's eat up some clock, get some long drives, get it to Pollard a bunch, and let's work the clock, get touchdowns, and then we'll have even a small lead in the second half, and we can really let it rip. Williams, let me go to you on something here real quick. It's sort of futures watch adjacent. Williams, let me go to you something real quick on the Niners here. Futures watch adjacent, if you will. Brock Purdy is not really uh, lighting the world up, and nobody gives him an awful lot of credit for what's going on in the 49ers. So do you think McCaffrey has a chance, if he doesn't get injured, to crack that MVP discussion? Or do you still think it's just he's locked out because he's a running back? He's just not going to beat a QB. I think he should, but we've seen previously, like, Cooper Cup season a couple years ago was just absolutely ridiculous. Nowhere close to the MVP winner. Justin, Justin Jefferson, same thing last year. Ridiculous season. Nowhere near the MVP uh, winner. I think you, you, what you have to look at is offensive player of the year. The, I don't know why. And I don't know why these, these voters do this. They just, they just totally disregard the running back position. But if Christian McCaffrey still keeps up putting up these stats, I think he should be in the running, but it's just, uh, you know, we study like how these voters vote and they just don't they just don't vote for running backs anymore. I think it's been close to 15 years since a running back won MVP when AP did it. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think I think if you do see a running back even have a chance, you'll see it as like a co MVP type situation where both him and a quarterback both get like 16 votes for first place. We've seen something like that happen before. I think Barry Sanders won it one year. uh and had to share it with a quarterback. So that's the way I would see it being able to happen. Barry Sanders, shout out Wayne Fonts. I don't know why I just thought of Wayne Fonts right there when you brought up Barry Sanders, but I just pictured him patrolling the sidelines there, looking like he's about ready to leave and open up his own pizzeria at any point. You know what I mean? It just shout out Wayne Fonts. Yo, I got I got one more thing on, on Purdy splits here. You don't want to talk about Wayne Fonts? I don't want to talk about Wayne Fonts. <laughs> Oh, we got a laugh out of Williams, Chris. Look at that. I broke it for a second. With pressure, Brock Purdy, negative 0.32 EPA per attempt, 36% success rate, 49% completion rate, no pressure, plus 0.77 EPA per attempt, 71% success rate, 84% completion rate. He's number one in every single metric when kept clean, but he drops considerably when pressured. Last year versus the Cowboys in the playoffs, he was pressured on 49% of his dropbacks. Cowboys have to get pressure on him. Let's go. We need uh, we need some uh, Micah Parsons. Need a big game out of him for the Cowboys to win. We will probably check in on Chris's feelings on that game next week because we have Shanahan versus Chris's Cowboys, and we all know how Williams is love for the entire Shanahan family and extended family tree. of his Going against Shanahan coaches. this week. And former ball boys and former people that just went to a Kyle Shanahan QB camp. Just a guy who was a deacon at his church one time. It doesn't matter. If you've come in contact with Kyle Shanahan, your life is better for it. Mr. Williams, our life is better for you being our football handicapper. Thank you so very much. And do you have any parting words before we move on and talk about baseball? Like, do you have a do you have a baseball bet for the people? 
I don't, man. I had I had the Cubs to win the division at twelve to one. They got within a game and a half in the early September, and then they broke my heart. So, yeah, that's uh, I didn't. I did. I did have Shohei Otani to win the Cy Young. He's not going to win the Cy Young. He's probably going to win the MVP. So, <laughs> I chose wrongly there too. So, um, one last thing about I know you asked me before about Dick Buckus. Man, sad day for Bears fans. He was the greatest Bear of all time, and I and I am a huge, huge Walter Payton fan. So that's saying something. But uh, just brought a toughness to uh, to the Bears, and just a great guy, and uh, underrated uh, uh, movie or, or TV show guy too. So uh, yeah, just what a what a great football player, the Dick Buckus was. Yeah, I mean, Chris, you were the only one of us who was even close to being alive to actually watch him play football. So uh, what do you what do you think about old Dick Buckus passing away there? You know, for for not being a Bears fan, you couldn't help but respect the game that he played. You had to fear him as an opposing, as a fan of the opposing team. You did not like going up against those Bears defenses just because of him. Like he was the precursor to the linebackers that then created the Ray Lewis that we had for years and years. It was him, then Singletary, you know, and then Lawrence Taylor. And then you get the Ray Lewis, but without Dick Buckus first, you wouldn't have had those types of guys. So he def- definitely broke the mold for the linebacker position. R.I.P. Dick Buckus at 84 Shore. Thank you to Williams, Chris. Thank you, as always, for your football thoughts. But, Chris, you're going to be sticking around, having baseball thoughts with us as well. And through the magic of podcasting, Jimmy Jamriska is going to be back with us at the end here because we recorded those segments before we did football. So uh, we're just giving you a little bit of the secret sauce there. So uh, Chris actually isn't going to say his line here. I'm just going to say stick around and you got more stuff happening. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. All right, the handicapper, Josh Williams, has stepped out, but we are keeping with the expert theme on this particular episode of Balls and Brew. So if we're going to talk about baseball, you know there's only one person we trust to come on and talk about the rawhide. Do they make a baseball out of rawhide? I'm not even sure anymore. It's been a long time since I've watched it, but it's our guy. Evan Altman, what I am sure of is if you want good Cubs coverage, you should be following this man on Twitter. You should be checking out his website, Cubs Insider, because he knows what he's talking about. Evan, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I always, uh, always love coming on. Uh, would would prefer that maybe there were some better news uh, from the north side of Chicago to talk about, but maybe, uh, as I was saying before we started recording, it might actually be a good thing that I don't have to talk about the Cubs playing the postseason. Who knows? Well, uh, I uh, I watched a little bit from afar, and I uh, I have I've scorned all of my Cubs coverage except, of course, for yours. So I would still see little bits and pieces of what was going on throughout the season when I would check in with your Twitter account or your X account. I guess I'm not even sure what we're supposed to say anymore in the Cubs Insider. And so I know we were right there in the thick of it for a while. I know things were looking up for the North Siders for a bit, and then it just kind of went south at the end of the year. So uh, give us the uh, the, the final report on uh, this year's Cubs season, if you would. Yeah, I mean. It's weird because you know there's there's certain times I had I had said and I, I don't remember if uh, if I gave a prediction on here if we did one of those but I know on a, a few other places I had I had pegged them at 82 wins I said I think 82 they won 83 uh, so fairly close uh, technically exceeded expectations you know if you look at one game out of 162 but you know it's it's the same thing though as saying hey I'm 
again, if I were to drive to Chicago, I've made it drive a bunch of times. I know how long it takes. But, uh, you know, then you run into traffic and all these things come up and, uh, you know, it takes you four and a half, five hours to get there. You still ended up getting there, but you're not really happy about the journey. And that's where I kind of feel like things went for the Cubs, especially after being they, they went from 10 games under to 10 games over. It's the first time they've ever done that. But then they closed out the season going seven and 15 down that last 22 games and pissed away, you know, on September 6th, their playoff odds were like 93.4%. And then they just tanked it completely, fell off the face of the earth. Looks like a mountain range when you look at the postseason odds. And so I think, again, if you were to step back and say, hey, at the end of the season, the Cubs were, if I told you back in March that they were going to compete for a playoff spot for most of the second half and they were going to look pretty good and they were going to have a breakout performance from Justin Steele, Cody Bellinger bounced back to near MVP candidacy. Seiya Suzuki ended up after a bad start being one of the top hitters on the team, being one of the best hitters in baseball in the second half. All that sounds really, really good on paper. But then like the eye test and just the way that it all happened, you don't feel good about that, especially knowing that some of those guys aren't going to be there anymore. The whole vibe could change a little bit. There's a whole lot that has to happen for them to improve. So, um, again, depending on how you want to look at the season, it's it's the picture of the the old woman and the the beautiful young woman, right? The little black and white drawing that you can look at, and people see different things. You, I could see both of those things if you wanted to. I'm looking at the old crone right now, though, because there's postseason baseball going on, and the Cubs aren't involved in it, and they probably should be by all accounts. So you you mentioned uh, that we may not see some of the same guys back next year, Evan. Um, do you think our farm system is well built enough right now to replace these guys that we do lose? Do you think Bellinger is going to be one of the guys that we are going to lose? Do you think we might be able to move Dansby Swanson out of the infield? Because I think that has hurt us this year. Like, do you think we can replace these guys if we do lose them? Um, you know, it's 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 really tough. I don't. I don't think the odds of signing Bellinger are all that good. Um, Jed Hoyer did his his postseason kind of end of season wrap up on on Tuesday, um, and you know, I, obviously in a situation like that, right, where you've got a guy who is going to be primed for a big payday, um, obviously outside of Shohei Otani, Bellinger's probably the premier free agent right now, which was not going to be the case. It wasn't the case a year ago. The the, the Dodgers had non tendered him. And he knew, I mean, he had, I think, some multi-year offers out there. He knew he wanted a one-year deal. He was looking for the right situation. And I don't know that anybody has ever parlayed a pillow contract into a better situation than what he did, uh, right? The dude's only going to be like 29 years old, coming off of a great season. I think the Cubs had a chance. Hoyer talked about that, right? He was like, the recruiting's already done, right? Like, the guy knows what it's like to play in Chicago. He understands the organization. We've We've got that. Now it's a matter of, you know, can we make it work? But if that gets drawn out, the issue is this. The Cubs are not in a position to be able, it's not like they're the Braves or the Dodgers or whatever. And you're like, hey, we're flush. If you want to come play for us, cool. We've got a ton of talent. They can't wait on Cody Bellinger to make a decision in January or February. They've got to continue to move. Um, so to follow that up, are there some guys, I mean, if things break the right way, like they've got a ton of outfielders in the system and that's great. And, and the other thing Hoyer said I mean, he flat out said there's no way to be a great organization if you're not willing to give at-bats to these young players and figure out a way to have a veteran core around them that allows them to fail and grow and develop. 
which is kind of the opposite of David Ross earlier in the season saying, we're going to play the guys that got us here. Right. And now we're, we're not going to let these young guys play. I get it. But um, yeah, I mean, Kevin Alcantara, Owen Casey are a couple guys who are, who are kind of on the come. Pete Crow Armstrong, we saw he had a rough time with it. I think those struggles will actually help him next year. He can step in there. You know, they got Matt Mervis, some of these other guys, they can, they can fill these gaps. The only problem is none of those dudes are guaranteed. Not that anything is ever guaranteed, but none of them have ever done it. Cody Bellinger for everybody who's talking about, and I, I, I'll, you know, I'll definitely stand on this one. Cause I, I saw a lot of good things with this swing, wrote that up. I don't, I'm not saying he, I knew he was going to do this, but I knew he was going to be a lot better. We're talking about a dude who even with some down years was rookie of the year, MVP, put up monster, monster numbers, gold glover, right? For the Dodgers. You, that guy's not coming up probably immediately through the system. I don't think they have a guarantee like, oh yeah, here's another Chris Bryant who's just going to come up and win every award there is for the first couple of seasons, hit the ground running. So do they have that in the system? Maybe, but they're darn well going to have to figure that out because I don't think the chances are good that Bellinger's back. So you got to replace him. And I think that, you know, a name that's come up a lot, which is just randomly over the past couple of days is this Pete Alonso. Um, the Cubs are very interested in him. The Cubs are going to have aggressive spending this off season. Do the Cubs have the pieces to get a Pete Alonso, uh, to come to Chicago? Yeah, I mean they've they've got more than enough when it comes to that. I mean he's only got a year left on his deal yeah. with uh, with the Mets. Who, by all accounts, you know, I mean when Max Scherzer was traded out of town, he kind of made it sound as if the organization had basically told him, you know, after the Mets spent tens and hundreds of millions of dollars, right, to try to really go for it this year and, and ended up falling on their faces, which the Mets typically do. Um, but now it sounds like they're trying to reset that right and go younger, which makes sense. I mean, they, you know. No more Verlander, no more Scherzer. Like you had these four, you know, oddly enough, spending tons and tons of money on 40 year old pitchers was not a great idea. Who who knew that could happen? Um, again, short uh, contract length or control left on, on Alonzo. They do have a lot of young guys, though. They've got a lot of young talent coming up. They've still got Lindor and some other guys who, who are, you know, solid pieces that they can continue to build around from a veteran standpoint. But you know, I mentioned some of those guys. Well, the Cubs have Ian Happ and Seiya Suzuki locked up for another few years. They've got Pete Crow Armstrong, who should be the center fielder for the future. I mentioned Casey. I mentioned Alcantara. I mean, that's right there. If you if you count PCA in there, their numbers, one, three, and four prospects are all outfielders. Well, you can only play three of those guys at once, and two of them are locked up. So I figure, you know, one of those two, they've got some pitchers on the way up as well. So, yeah, absolutely. For a guy who's on one year of control, could they make that work? I think so. It's just going to be a matter of, I also think this is the same Mets team that got basically fleeced by the Cubs on that trade for Pete Crow Armstrong when the Cubs sent uh, Javi Baez and Trevor Williams out there. Neither of whom did much. The Mets didn't finish with anything. So I think the Mets are going to go into that in any deal with the Cubs saying, hey, uh, we're, we're going to second guess whatever you're sending us. We're going to try to extract <laughs> as much value as possible from this guy. Man, I loved hearing Javi Baez. I loved Javi Baez's Cub. I guess he's not doing all that great in years on, and everybody thinks that the Cubs were justified in not re-signing him. But, man, was that dude an electric in a Cubs uniform. I missed that dude. The Cubs missed the playoffs. One other thing I know about baseball this year is that the Red Sox, the Cardinals, and another all-time playoff stalwart. Who am I thinking of here? The Yankees. That's who it is. All three of them missed the playoffs. So who is in the playoffs this year, Mr. Altman? <laughs> We, all of them well, yeah it's a good question a whole lot of 
so uh, Milwaukee, obviously they won the Central. They're playing uh, Arizona, so Milwaukee got the Central title. Uh, Arizona finished with the with the wild card, so they're playing the Brewers. Uh, Miami and Philly also made it, uh, which is which is wild. You know, the Marlins yeah. coming back, snatching that third spot from the Cubs. Um, Texas and Tampa, Toronto and Minnesota. And then, of course, you've got uh, the Dodgers and the Braves, who are the two. I mean, they, and, and I will say this. Like, the Cubs got swept by the Braves, um, had a chance in one of those. But that Braves team is just insanely good from top to bottom. When you look at a line where the top six guys or five in the order have more than 30 home runs, all of them, like, how, how do you get through that, right? And that's – so I think they're totally built to win in the playoffs. And then, you know, you look out – uh in the American League, and uh, so I forget who I've even uh, – who did I skip in the AL? I don't know. Who cares about the American League? They're not going to win anything. It's going to be the Braves. Baltimore? <laughs> oh, yeah, Baltimore. Like, Baltimore. Yeah, just maybe. Baltimore. Just, they just won 101 games, Evan. No big deal. It's yeah. fine. Well, after having lost 100 and some games for like five years in a row yeah. with former Cubs bench coach Brandon Hyde at the helm there, right? He was under Madden in Chicago. And I, I will say that, like, there's – there's a lot of different reasons. I'm not going to go into the whole David Ross thing, and I think he's different from Brandon Hyde. But kudos to the to the Orioles. I don't I don't like the idea of tanking. I hate putting a, a really strong fan base through all that losing. But kudos to them from the front office to ownership for hiring a guy who they believed in and sticking with him because they were supposed to suck. They knew they were going to suck, and they went through that. And they didn't just bother fired him saying, oh, well, now we're going to try to win. They believed in Brandon Hyde to be able to carry him through this, and now he goes from losing 100 games to winning 100 games. That's super impressive and good for him, good for them. As much as it sucks to have lost all that much, that's an exciting young team with tons of talented guys who I think are going to be really, really good moving forward. The O's. I want to see Baltimore do well just so I can see a bunch of crazy Baltimore fans and using their Baltimore accents. Like, honestly, that's that's the only enjoyment that I want out of these baseball playoffs. Other than that, I don't want to see the Dodgers or the Braves wins, but it sounds like I'm in trouble because those are the two best teams. They are definitely the best teams. Uh, A couple questions here, uh, Evan, um, before we let you go. We really appreciate you coming on, uh, as always, for sure. Even a podcast that obviously doesn't like baseball as much as other podcasts that uh, you're on and you, you do, but... Uh, Shohei Otani, uh, not going to pitch next year, going to hit, um, going to get a lot of money. Um, where do you think in your early research for the, uh, for the free agent, uh, spending free, uh, spending spree, where do you think he's going to end up? I mean, it's tough to, to go against the West coast team, right. And think the Dodgers right immediately, <sighs> like you, with as much as they're spending, um, and have spent, but, but they've done it with them and the Braves. This is what's wild is they've done such a good job. So I go back to the Braves again. I keep uh, uh, I won't dodge this question for too long, but they've done <laughs> such a great job of drafting and developing and and just absolutely fleecing the athletics twice in trades and then immediately extending these guys so that they know exactly yeah. what they've got going forward, right? But the Dodgers have done an ama- amazing job. I mean, look at they got Freddie Freeman. They got Mookie Betts, these two guys. And, and, you know, Betts had maybe a little bit of a of a hiccup there early. But you've got these two superstars locked up. And there's not, I mean, for as much as they've spent around those guys, there's not a ton of these monster contracts. So I, I think, again, just with the proximity to, and, and granted, if you're flying all the way to Japan, I guess what's an extra couple, three hours. But I, I do think that 
the familiarity with that is going to draw. I mean, Dark Horse, maybe San Francisco, possibly Seattle. I know Seattle's got just a tremendous depth and wealth of Asian culture. We saw Ichiro go out there partially for that reason. And, and, you know, again, we're talking about proximity to Japan. That kind of helps. I think that uh, that could be an option. But, I mean, any of those West Coast. But I I still – I want to say the Cubs are still in that potential just because, again, they've they've gone after him before, but I don't see them spending, although I love the idea, if Marcus Stroman chooses to come back, which he probably will, and they pick up the deal for Kyle Hendricks, they've got their pitching staff in place, so they can go for another year. They don't need Otani to pitch for him. They can just pick that up, let him DH, and then he can start pitching the year after. So that would be fine. But again, I, I just – it pains me so much. I don't want to see him playing for the Dodgers. Like that would no. just suck my soul out of my backside every time I had to watch <laughs> it. But still, that's that's my that's my pick. Chris, Shocker. you're always talking about Shohei Otani on this podcast. You're hijacking this podcast at times to talk about him. <laughs> what are your thoughts there? I would love to see him in a Cubs uniform. I think those are pretty long odds, though. For Count sure. me on the side that Ricketts isn't going to shell out the coin. All right. I know our listeners are going to be shocked to hear me brick bad against Ricketts there, but count me on the side that he's not going to shell out the coin for it. That's, but the, the one thing I will say is that's the one dude who, again, when you look around the league, if there is one player who's got the most draw and star power and ability to single handedly make up any amount of that contract between ticket sales. And marquee sponsorships, especially if they can lift those blackouts and start selling $20 a month marquee uh, subscriptions overseas to Japan and the Asian market and elsewhere, that alone, my friend, will make up his half a billion dollars right there. So speaking of which, I probably need to cancel marquee for the offseason because I don't think I'm <laughs> going to get my value out of $20 a month if the team's not playing. Not a big fan of the offseason uh, replays and things like that. So, you know, we mentioned um, aggressive spending uh, a little earlier uh, when uh, when Hoyer said that they were going to do that. If you were in the position to aggressively spend for the Cubs, what areas would you want to bring in? I mean, I, they've got to do better on the bullpen side of things. I mean, Please. clearly we saw, you know, they, they Jose Quas was the only player they added uh, externally at the trade deadline uh, for the for the bullpen, right? Jamer Candelario, decent pickup, although he, again, he was one of the, he fell apart after the first two weeks, basically. Um, literally, I mean, he was injured, but he, he couldn't hit a <laughs> lick after those first two weeks or so. Um, but you went and got a guy who then you had to lean on like they go and get Quas. Uh, I forgot to look at the last couple of games to see, but at one point when I looked at it with a, with a few games left uh, be- before the Brewers series, he had pitched in 26 of 50 games for which he was active and eight of the last 10 at that time. That is simply not the kind of stuff you need to be seeing from a guy who should be, you know, maybe a sixth inning low leverage type of reliever that just shouldn't happen. But a lot of injuries that suck, but they need, Guys, I would love to see him. You know, I talked about the rotation. The problem I have with that is you get so little margin for error in that rotation right now. It could be really good or it could all go south. There's not a whole lot of mediocrity available. It's just either good or bad. And none of those guys outside of an aberrant start here or there misses bats. None of them can be counted on to go out there and get double-digit strikeouts unless, again, hey, could Justin Steele do that every once in a while? Yes, but that's not his game. These are all, we're talking like under 
1K per inning guys. I want a dude who's out there lighting up the radar gun, high 90s, touching triple digits as a starter who can go six to seven innings and get you those strikeouts and miss bats. That's what I that's what I need to see them go get, whether that's free agency, whether that's swinging a big trade. And they need some more of those arms for the bullpen, too. They've kind of got a Julian Merriweather did pretty well doing that. But like you look around the league, we've seen the number of 100 mile an hour pitches has just gone up astronomically. But how many of those did we see from the Cubs? Not many. They're not in that ballpark. They're not playing at the rest of the league's level there. Um. Since you've brought up pitching, this leads to one of my questions I wanted to ask you tonight, Evan. Um, we have seen a lot of pitchers this year go down, needing Tommy John surgery, and it's happened to a lot of these playoff teams. Do you see a correlation between the rise in these 100-mile-an-hour pitchers and the need for more Tommy John surgeries on these pitchers? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I was actually supposed to have done an interview with an orthopedic doctor recently something fell through with that because I was, uh, and that was one of the topics, you know, I kind of wanted to bring up some of these things and, and we, you know, again, uh, uh, who was it? Brandon Woodruff from the, from the Brewers. Uh, it's a, it's a capsular tear in his shoulder, which is similar to what Kyle Hendricks went through. Um, you know, Max Scherzer, we mentioned him, he's, he's down right now with a, a Terry's major strain or tear or something in his, in his shoulder. Right. And like you said, we're seeing a ton of Tommy John stuff. And I think, you know, there, there is simply because and it, and it, it's, there's a give and take to some of this stuff too. I think there's, it's not just that they're throwing harder, although I know that's part of it. And the, and the, the valgus force, right. That's generated, which is the the force when you throw what it puts on the, the medial area in the elbow uh, on that UCL. I mean, that, that tendon is, or the ligament is simply not strong enough to withstand that kind of repeated motion at that kind of stress level. So, but I, I do think it's less the, you know, the individual kind of acute stuff. And I think a lot of this is just, I would be very interested to to actually backtrack it. And instead of looking at like right now, what are they doing? But like, did these guys, cause now we're, we're really getting into that generation of players who started to specialize much earlier than what any of us used to do when we were a kid. Like nobody ever played baseball outside of the baseball season. It's you played, every separate sport. And so I think a lot of this comes down to now what we are seeing is a generation of baseball players who came out of the point where they, you know, they're coming out of Arizona and Texas and Florida where that's, and they play baseball 12 months out of the year. They just got more mileage on their arms than anybody else did 20 and 30 years ago. I think it's a, I think it's the thing we're seeing uh, in the NBA as well, right? The rise of AAU and these kids are just playing too much basketball. So I think that's a definite good thought is like, let's not focus on what they're doing at the highest level. Let's focus on how much wear and tears on that arm before they even get there. So that's And to get, and I think that's part of it is I want to, you know, it's, I don't know how much of it is, how hard are you throwing now and how much of that is what kind of work and what had to go into you throwing that hard and how much have you worked at that? Did you have enough breaks? I mean, I'm dealing with that with my 15 year old, 14 year old, he's almost 15. And I mean, he, he almost pulled his growth plate off the bone, uh, on his elbow, you know? And so now we're really like, all right, dude, we got to build in some better rest and things like that. Cause it's like, you're only 14. We don't want to mess you up before you're even out of high school. So, um, but I, I have to imagine we're seeing more and more of that at the youth levels, and as anybody knows, right, you recover fast when you're young, but every little thing you do like that can cause ripples down the road. 
Well, that is a very interesting conversation. Perhaps we can dive deeper into that in the uh, off season. Evan, I thank you so much for uh, coming on. But I guess what I heard from you is that perhaps the Cubs should give a call out to the California Penal League and see if maybe they can get themselves a wild thing Ricky Vaughn, right, who came from the California penal system through some heat for the Indians once upon a time, right? Is that what I'm hearing you say? I, yeah, I mean, hey, go find a guy who stole a car, right? Uh, you know, no sleeves, <laughs> no caps. We're cool with that. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd be more than happy to see him hit that up. Nice. Well, that's a that's a shout out and a callback to uh, another appearance of Mr. Altman on this very podcast network. He helped us break down the major league from the top to the bottom. So go back in this very feed if you want to hear Evan waxing philosophically on that cinematic masterpiece. Evan, thank you so much for coming on and talking a little baseball on this podcast. Listen, I understand that baseball is a great and grand sport. I loved it once upon a time. Perhaps I will come back to it someday. So I, I I don't like Jimmy's characterization of a podcast that doesn't like baseball because I am not the only one on this podcast that matters. My name is sure is in the title, but I'm not the only one that matters. And Jimmy and Chris like baseball, so I appreciate you coming on and talking baseball with us. Glad to be here. All right. We, uh, we've been uh, chatting at you for a bit on this episode. You hardcore fans, stay with us. We got just a little bit of basketball to close it out. Welcome to the Fast Break. The Fast is 15 minutes in the NBA. I'm Jimmy. Rod and Chris are here as well. And just like last week, we have another trade to talk about involving our Boston Celtics, Rod. Yeah, that's right. I was going to go ahead and start our analysis here with the question. Is there anything else that you and Chris would like me to make happen in the NBA? I'm more than happy to come on this podcast and make a prediction right now that is sure to be right. We all know my record vis-a-vis Gardner Minshew, vis-a-vis Anthony Richardson, and now I have just made Drew Holiday to the Boston Celtics thing. Chris, I'm manifesting dreams over here. Can you manifest an NBA championship in Indianapolis? I don't know. I don't know. Listen, I like their chances. We'll get to that in our NBA preview, but I'm not sure I can make that one happen for you. What do you think about Drew Holiday of the Celtics, though? I was right on that one. I mean, you were not wrong. Um, I think the Celtics still have an issue, and I think they need a real rim protector. You can't sit here and tell me that Kristaps Porzingis is your main rim protector, right? Is that what you guys are going to try to tell me as Celtics fans? No, but what I am going to tell you is Robert Williams doesn't ever play. So I think it's absolutely a home run for the Celtics. Jimmy, how about you? I think it's a home run for the Celtics, what they gave up and what they got back. Their top six is better than most tops, if not all top sixes. I love this team. I love the lineup. Robert Williams was a great uh, locker room person. Um, I guess everyone loved him. Chris Tapsersingas, as as Chris just mentioned, has known him for two weeks. Like, man, that guy's going to be missed. Um but he also hardly ever played. He was hurt all the time. No matter what happened, you were scared. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, he was out anyway, and he's going to be shipped again because Portland will continue to add pieces from this trade. A uh, couple of first-round picks. Listen, you need to win the championship in the next three years if you're the Celtics, and getting Drew Holiday is the way to do it. I love this trade. I'm going to go back to the Joe Cronin angle on this here, Chris, right? We've seen a lot of GMs who get put in a bad situation where they've got to trade their star, right? Damian Lillard tried to dictate, hey, go to Miami. His agent, Aaron Goodwin, started playing games, and Joe Cronin dug in, and he ended up getting himself a pretty darn good haul here. Still TBD, as Jimmy mentioned, so you got to be happy for Joe here, right, Chris? Because you're always rooting for the man. <laughs> yeah, that's what I am, a corporate shill. Um 
I will say this, though, that Portland has done a phenomenal job working this deal because I think they have essentially two first-rounders already, two options to swap first-rounders in the coming years as well, and probably at least to get one more swap or an outright first-round pick when they decide to deal Brogdon. I mean, you can't argue with what they're doing. They're doing a complete rebuild, and they're ready to either make trades with these picks that they've picked up or actually get additional young talent to go with what they have right now. Yeah, Portland once again just knocking it out of the park. And really, it doesn't even matter if these, you know, if, if five years from now, six years from now, you look back and, oh, the picks didn't really work out or anything. They still got the best they possibly could. And, and I love that. Um, so that's the Drew Holiday trade. Uh, a couple other things I want to hit on here in our fastest 15 minutes in the NBA. We have uh, two words first one, Jimmy, second one, Butler. Go right ahead. I appreciate Jimmy giving us just a little bit of extra sauce on media day, right? It's a nice little breakup between all the stories about a guy putting on seven pounds of muscle, right? A guy doing nothing but working on his jumper all summer, right? I'm going to hit three pointers this year. You know what I mean? I'm going to, I'm going to average and assist more a game. It's a nice little breakup of all of those media day non-stories out of coaches and GMs and players to see Jimmy Butler's uh, attire. And it's also great that you're then reminded of it throughout the year when certain pictures pop up that were taken on media day of Jimmy in his wigs. Well, isn't this something he's done now two years in a row where he'll show up to media day with a different hairstyle, get his official NBA roster picture taken. And so the rest of the year they're showing that picture on NBA games or online or on news blurbs when he has something completely different while he's playing. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to love seeing that on 2k when I'm playing on my, on my son. That's just fantastic. I love it. Uh, 76ers, uh, Joel Embiid, a uh, pretty good quote here. Um, you know, if every year is going to be the same thing, that doesn't put you closer to winning a championship. That gets frustrating. But I also believe it doesn't matter who's on the team. I'm always going to have a chance to win. And he kind of doubled down on that a few times. It's like, who says the Celtics are better than us? Who says the Bucks are better than us? Who says they jumped over us? I'm on the team. We have a chance to win. Uh, Rod, I love that coming from my number one guy, but they've got a long way to go. Yeah, they do. Uh, and I, I appreciate you, Jimmy, being a host here and being magnanimous and just getting the 76ers ball rolling without mentioning your nemesis, your object of scorn many times on this particular podcast, James Harden. That is basically the elephant in the room at Sixers camp. We are dealing with a similar situation to Ben Simmons. But the Sixers seem to be a little more positive about this one because I think they have James Harden painted into a corner. I really do with this thing that's in the CBA about if he doesn't show up for 30 straight days in the last year of his contract. And if Harden also tanks yet another team, he's not going to get the money that he wants out there. So I think James Harden's going to have to report to camp sooner or later. So I think it's a distraction for Philadelphia right now. But ultimately, Chris, I think the Sixers are going to still be pretty good. Am I crazy? Well, no, they're still going to be pretty good. They still got talent on the team, and they have the reigning MVP in Joel Embiid. So, yeah, they're going to be good. But this is a perfect example of that dichotomy of different GMs, right? You have the guy from uh, the Sixers saying, hey, you got to show up to camp. And you, on the flip side, you have the guy in Portland saying, Dame made a mistake showing up to camp. He wanted out. He didn't want to be a part of this team. Why did he show up? I mean, you see different ideals, different stances from these different GMs. 
And I think Portland is in a better situation with the GM they have than Philadelphia is with theirs. So we have, uh, you mentioned a little bit about Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, this is a quote from Ben Simmons from Media Day, Rod. This is the best I've felt in a long time. Every day is a lot easier. Over, under on games played, I'm going to ask you right now for Ben Simmons. Rod, we're going to go smack dab in the middle. 41, over, or under. Oh, under, under. I thought you were going to give me a much tougher number than that. Are you kidding me? I'm going way under 41. Like, you could have given well, me It's the best he's ever felt, though. It's the best he's ever felt. I'm not buying it. I'm absolutely not buying it until Ben Simmons makes me eat my words. And if Ben Simmons has played 41 games before we even get to the all-star break, I will get a Ben Simmons. No, I won't. I'm not going to get a tattoo. I almost, I almost fell victim to a bold proclamation about a tattoo before. So I'll come up with something else, but there's absolutely no way you could have said 26, Jimmy. And I still think I'd have been under Chris King. How do you think Ben Simmons is going to do this year? I mean, how many games did he play last year as a healthy player? Like he was, they were, we were told that he can't play with any lineup on the team, right? So, so even if he's healthy and feels great, who's he playing with and in what lineup and how many? I mean, I could see him getting to 41 games maybe, but I would take the under as well. And then in that 41 games, I mean, you're averaging 12 minutes of playing time a game at most. That's yeah, a lot of money true. for a 12 minutes under 41 game player per year. So enjoy that, Josiah. That's that's money well spent there on your on your New York Brooklyn Nets. Kawhi Leonard. Nobody is just trying to get in so many games. I'm not a guy that's sitting down doing load management. If the league is trying to mock what I did with the Raptors, they should stop. I was injured the whole year. That's a that's a big one right there, boys. Rod. Kawhi continues to not listen to anybody. Kawhi continues to not feel he needs to play basketball to get paid, even though he literally has a contract that says he gets paid to play basketball. So if Lawrence Frank and Ty Lue and Steve Ballmer and hell, even Adam Silver at this point are not going to be able to make Kawhi Leonard play basketball, I don't think anybody's going to be able to. So enjoy that out there in uh, LA street lights and not, Bright lights of Hollywood Clippers. I don't. I still don't think you have a chance at winning anything if this guy's your your best player. Yeah, I mean, and it's not. That's what blew my mind too. He keeps bringing up what happened in Toronto. It's more about what's been going on since he's been in LA. Like I know he had the the ACL tear or whatever, and he had a meniscus injury last year. But like, there is no way that he has been this injured that entire time. I know he was. He was dealing with a quad thing in Toronto, but that first year in LA, he wasn't, but he was still getting arrested at the, after back-to-backs. Like, it's pretty evident that he doesn't want to play full-time. I think that we have seen numerous players over numerous years play through injuries when their teams needed them, fight through little bumps and bruises throughout the season. I mean, Kobe Bryant is one for sure that I've seen play through dislocated fingers, sprained high, high ankle sprains. I mean, you see it all the time with real superstars and you don't see it from Kawhi Leonard. You heard it here first, Jimmy. Kawhi Leonard does not have the mama mentality. I, I don't think so. And that's the, that's the problem when you don't tell your team or you don't tell anybody else the reasons you're sitting out or the reasons you're not playing. 
People do jump to conclusions, whether they are right or they are wrong. You just need to be a little bit more communicative to, you know, the people paying you all that money because they haven't resigned you and you're eligible for an extension. And it would be dumb, dumb to give him that extension, correct? I, oh, absolutely. There's no way that they're getting an extension until they show how many games they're going to play this year. And also look for uh, look for some weird stories to be coming out about the Clippers, even apart from all of their personnel issues, because this is their last year in the crypto.com as a tenant, right? You're always going to kind of get screwed over by the landlord a little bit when he knows that you're bailing out on him. So look for look for maybe like a weird food story or like the locker room that the, the hot water goes out a little early a la Rachel Phelps and major league. You know what I mean? Like there's just sure. going to be some shenanigans pulled by the Lakers on the Clippers this year. So look out for that. You heard it here first, Jimmy. That's the stuff people come to the fast break for. We added another level to our team. The Bucks front office has shown they're committed to winning a championship. Giannis Antetokounmpo said, according to the athletics, Eric Neem, I'm happy. How happy are Bucks front office, Bucks ticket sales agents, and Bucks fans right now, Chris King? I mean, can you be more happy? This is by far the happiest any of the Bucks fans have been since they won the championship a couple years ago. I mean, by far, because like they jump to the front of the line. They're the darlings of the preseason NBA. Everyone's going to be picking them to win. And to be honest, they're talent-wise, probably one of the strongest teams in the East by far, I think, even with the Celtics getting holiday. Um, you got to be ecstatic if you're a Bucks fan, right? Because now you know Giannis is, is gung-ho. You're probably going to keep him for another long-term extension, which means he may end up retiring as a Buck, which is what you want as a Bucks fan. Jimmy, let me be the, the cold water here that Chris normally is, right? This is an old team, all right? Yeah. I understand Brooke Lopez was number two last year in Defensive Player of the Year, but he is old. Chris Middleton has been broken down two years in a row. Dame Lillard is coming off of injuries two years in a row, right? This team certainly is top-loaded, and injuries would hurt any team, but I would be worried a little bit about this team's age. But other than that, you definitely need to be happy as a Bucks fan right now because, come on, the deer, they've been nothing for so long. You guys were signing Glenn Big Dog Robinson to the biggest contract in NBA history at one time and getting absolutely nothing out of it. This is a great time to be a Buck fan. Remember that? Love- that was awesome. What a great draft. I love throwing shots at Purdue, so yes. Uh, now, Giannis is not going to sign his contract extension this year uh, because it's uh, about a hundred million dollars difference between signing it this year and next year. Next year, he can sign for four at two thirty-three, and he reiterated he wants to be a Buck for life. Dot dot dot. As long as we keep winning, and winning can mean a lot of different things. Um, hey, Zion looks good. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, Lonzo Ball. Had a lot to say on media day for someone who's not going to play at all. Uh, any Bulls fans out there? No, God, Derek isn't around here, is he? No, no, no. But, uh, you know, those are some of the things I took out. And then you watch Lonzo get up and walk away. Wasn't the best. Uh, any closing thoughts before we head out of the fast break, Rod? It's a, it's a sports tragedy. Make sure that I put that word ahead of tragedy because there are real tragedies out there in the world, but it's a sports tragedy. What has happened to Lonzo Ball, man, that's a bummer. Hope that guy actually does get a chance to play again, but I'm not entirely sure about that. So if he wants to take this chance to get some shots fired off out there, hey, that's cool. And you know what else, Lonzo? The podcast world is out there, my friend. We have a lot of fun with it. Maybe that's where his future is. Who knows? Let's go. Chris King, anything else? Go Pacers. Yes, we will definitely talk more about the Pacers coming up. Uh, that has been the fast break on the More You Knows Podcast Network. You've already heard Josh Williams talk. You've heard Evan Altman talk. It's been a fantastic, fantastic episode. 
Chris, take us home. Goodbye, Internet.